Hello, and welcome to the Southern Surf Stompcast, where we feature the best surf, instro, and beyond that the South has to offer. I'm your host, Chad Shivers. On today's episode, we're going to hear an interview I conducted with Artie Mondello of the Delusionaires. But first, let's hear some brand new unreleased tracks. First up, Atlanta's legendary The Surge with Escape from Siesta Key. Then we'll hear The Man from Ravcon with Spellbound.
All right, that last track was Super E from Goldust Lounge from their Winwood bootleg. Russell was nice enough to send me a copy of that along with the beautiful brand spanking new vinyl version of Lost Sunset that I ordered. I can't recommend that album enough, one of my top albums of 2014. Before that, we heard The Man from Ravcon with Spellbound. Thanks to Mike for sending that in. Before that, we heard The Surge with Escape from Siesta Key. And thanks to Eddie Ketcher for sending that one in. All right, up next is a set of first wave tunes. First off, we're going to hear Alabama's The Tempos with Heartbeat. Then we'll hear The Reekers with Don't Call Me Flyface. And then finally, we hear The Carnations with Scorpion.
50 years of surf music and instrumental rock. Check out the Longboard Show on the radio Tuesday nights at 9 on WREK Atlanta 91.1 FM or via webcast WREK.org slash longboards. Hey Southern Surf Stompers, this is a first for the podcast. I'm actually doing an in-person interview. I'm here at Mondello Manor with Artie Mondello. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, gang. So, uh, of course, the Delusionaires will be playing uh, January 10th at the Southern Surf Stomp at Kavarna in Decatur. Um, so I'm going to ask Artie a couple of questions. So, Artie, who are the Delusionaires? The Delusionaires. Uh, that, who or what are the Delusionaires? We are, it's it's a four-piece mo. Nominally instrumental band with um, the couple of um, aberrations that were the instruments of mouth, but that's about it. But anyway, it's a sleaze, sleaze, bump and grind, stomp, slop, rhythm and blues um, quartet. There's a temptation to call it eclectic, but it's not eclectic at all. It's just our, it's basically uh, the various members' um, lowest tastes and lowest standards slap together and we just play whatever sounds sleaziest to us and goes by that. The best touchstone I can think of to describe the sound to a newcomer would be the um, the Las Vegas Grind compilations uh, that uh, Crypt Records put out. I threw one of its 
other labels, um, as well as the Frolic Diner, just a kind of a sleazy guitar, sax, bass, drums, sax being like the main melody instrument, grinding a sleazy guitar underneath it, um, a bass just kind of flopping about it, and then the drums just kind of drunkenly staggering along and <laughs> trying to keep it into one place. I've seen it described as filthy striptease nightclub full of fat drunks throwing up at the bar by one of your Portuguese fans. Yes. And music from a black and white movie that has a detective who drinks a lot by a 15-year-old girl. That's that's accurate as well. All right. That's very much. <laughs> well, uh, you mentioned the Frolic Diner series, and that's some of your influences. Uh, what are some of your other musical influences? My own biggest influences? Again, I can't really say what... What informs the influences of the others um, themselves, but my own influences would be again that Las Vegas grind strip kind of stuff. That a lot, the soundtracks of a lot of old. Um, I'm not even gonna say B movies because that makes it sound a little classier. I mean the real. Like, there's a movie called The Indestructible Man with Lon Chaney Jr. Uh, it's a real sleazy. I mean, real like. I mean, it, it looks dirty just when you watch it. And that's one of, I would consider that movie one of the biggest influences on my music just for that, that whole atmosphere. A movie called The Brain That Wouldn't Die, that's another one especially because um, that was one of the movies we would watch when we first played and we'd just kind of play against the, the numerous staggeringly hot strippers on on the screen there and actually one of our songs we actually stole pretty much wholesale from this recurring theme in the movie so a lot of that especially my guitar playing outside of like the obvious like link ray and dick dale which i mean if you listen past the um the fumbling and incompetence you can you can tell those influences are there but other than that the really probably about the biggest influence is going to be um the Memphis Electric Blues of the early 50s uh, that Sam Phillips did um, before Sun Records was really that viable thing when he would record for other bands, um, like obviously Rocket 88 uh, by Jackie mm -hmm. Brinston, which had like, which, I mean, which, which is a eerie parallel because, you know, they have a, a, a equipment falls off the car on the way there, mm -hmm. which gives that guitar that sound that you can't get anywhere else. So you have... Um, that's a huge influence. Pat Hare, who was a um, a real look him up. Pat Hare, H A R E, uh, all you out there, because he was a colorful cat that just the most amazingly ripping, violent, the most tastelessly distorted guitar sound you're gonna find before say 1960, and he it's it's just it it's like from another. It, it, I'm not even say from another planet because you ha kind of have to go. It's sort of like from another level of this planet. It's like if you gotta like <laughs> dig deeper than caveman and find something even cruder, things like that. Just basically something that's kind of like anything that had that kind of like a loose, poor, kind of poorly recorded or poorly um, equipped something where where just sound where the whole band sounds like it's. Just barely holding together, where just especially like B sides of, of of records where they were told to purposely make it bad. To mm -hmm. spot, like those are the, those B sides are what I'm all about <laughs> because like the the closer it sounds to the edge of just catastrophe, that's my pants get wetter with each one. <laughs> so, so that's that.
I wanted to talk about your records. You guys have uh, four records, right? Yeah, we have two 45s and two long players, one of which is CD only, the other is LP only. Right. Our first 45 uh, that we put out on our own um, Zanzibar Records label, uh, like at the end of our first year together, which would have been 2000, I guess, um, that record, that w- which was pistol-whipped back with Fifth Kiss, and that was that was recorded in my kitchen on a real creaky, um, f- uh, just old stereo reel-to-reel that on a, pe- a reel of used tape that I had bought at a thrift store that was shedding so badly it actually jammed the recorder and in pistol whipped which isn't even a song it was a level check and i don't know i don't know what led us to put that out as the a side (laughs) i have no idea but we did and had to live with it Uh, a couple years later you know we figured let's do an album we talked about doing the album in circumstances that were a little less primitive than the 45 in other words have more than like two microphones and being able to, there was no way that overdubbing was going to, we're not anywhere near as um, coordinated or disciplined <laughs> enough to do overdubbing, but it would have been nice to have like multiple tracks so mm-hmm. that we don't, so that we can actually take somebody out when they start to suck or, right. you know? and uh, so, you know, we had, uh, somebody had referred uh, this one studio we should call, never turned our calls. Um, uh, some one friend of ours offered to to record it for us. We never returned his call. <laughs> um, we uh, a couple friends of ours from Haxon Films uh, were talking about about creating a record label, and Mike, um, he had, he was a wonderful friend of mine to this day, he, he was like, you would have complete utter artistic license, but one stipulation, and it just became very grave. Just like it cannot sound like the single. <laughs> and, and so, it's like that's fine. but and even that just kind of didn't come about uh, for one reason or other and then um, then we get the word that from Brian our drummer that he and his girlfriend are going to go on a year long road trip across the country up to Alaska and it, let's face it when a band when a band says we're going to take a break and so, that basically it's a kiss the, of death yeah the band's yeah. not going to get back together and yeah. that's and so we figured we got to record this before he goes and um uh we had exactly two nights available before he was going to leave because he was leaving new year's day um like after that new that one new year's show so we had two nights available uh, that we could do it we got um, a friend of ours uh let us use their warehouse <clears throat> i our the entire recording budget was two hundred and fifty dollars, <laughs> two hundred and ten of which went to buying a four track cassette, a Tascam four track cassette deck. Um, about ten dollars went and buying cassette tapes, and the rest went for beer. <laughs> so that that was our our complete budget there. Uh, the first night we get there, we're waiting for Brian. He he had gone off to some Christmas party and was just like nowhere to be found so all we're bored all we can do is drink and drink and then by the time he gets there he's he's got a, a special herbal remedy that he shares with us that that just hammers nails in these coffins and everything from that night was utterly useless it was just like <laughs> in, i mean beyond i'm you'd think we're 
used to embarrassment and mortification, but this went beyond anything mm. even I understand. We the, for the first forty five, we released a level check as the A side, and this was not good enough for this. <laughs> so that's, that's what um, give an idea. So the second night we had no. It's like it was one of those cases. This is this is it or nothing. They're like we have no choice. Went in there, banged them out, and. You know, got them done with like pretty decently. Uh, we didn't. Uh, Brian had run out of his uh, his special cigarettes, and uh, <laughs> like we didn't have as much beer left, so so that probably helped too. Um, and then I like tossed everything in the trunk of my car, and then forgot about it for like four months. And then when we got the uh, offer the Hukalau show, I realized maybe we ought to have something to sell for it. And oh, maybe I ought to like kind of mix this thing. Mm-hmm. So I just like. In one drunken afternoon, just kind of mixed it live to mm-hmm. from the four tracks onto onto one in mono and mm-hmm. ran them off and that so that that would be destination poon which in a typical fashion the uh, the lead track is it's called sound check because that's exactly what it was it was yet another level check <laughs> look at the things that I put on there uh, one of my friends uh, I just wanted to, to a little quip my friend Noah described Destination Poon as one of the best and most sleazy albums that I own <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome that, that is good to know and that's the thing people like if you listen to the record it is like it just it sounds like a piece of tar <laughs> like I mean, it's like it's so dark and it's, but the thing is it sounds exactly like us I and mean, i will defend that record to the grave because i mean for all its faults i mean there's there's two there's one song uh, beat girl that like it's cut short because i break a string you hear me break a string the guitar is out of tune and we just all fall apart but let's keep it on there because that's that's basically what you were going to see live. And that's the John Barry tune. Yeah. Yes, exactly. The John Barry song, Beat Girl, which um, we always did a crappy version. And, and actually, it was a mercy killing, the fact that the string broke of the song. So. Yeah. Um, the, uh, and, and there's some, thing, some parts of that record that I'm really proud of. I mean, a couple of our like own compositions, like um, Pick Up, like, which I still think is just about the, one of the best things we did. I mean, faint praise, but... Still, uh, but there's some things on there that are like, I think are just terrible. But at the same time, I defend it because that's it's what, what you we, are. Yeah, like there's nothing worse than buying a record by a band you like, especially if it's a local band. If it's a first record and whatnot, and you get it, and they've taken this opportunity to get all kind of experimental and whatnot, and which is what some people would. Who, who had offered to record it for us were saying, oh no, you're recording you should take this opportunity to like, get out there like do it in stereo and it's like, mm-hmm. no, no mm-hmm. it's like, this is not I mean, you can put a pretty dress on an ugly girl to an extent but not girls this ugly it's just saying, <laughs> no, no dress is that pretty so it's like, it would be it would be embarrassing if we tried to clean it up or anything so. didn't you guys record that album in like three hours? yes, we had, th- <laughs> we had exactly three hours to do that and so yeah, we showed up at the um, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely maybe three and a half but no, I think it was probably more like three and then what came after Destination Poon? After Destination Poon, um, we'd talked about recording a, a second album, but hadn't. So, and then we break up, and then get back. We got back together again, and then we kind of were forced to break up when Brian was almost killed. Mm-hmm. So, but fast forward to when we um, 
after that first reunion show, and when Denny had uh, kind of pitched the idea, hey, let's record the second Delusionaires album while I'm hanging out with you up there, and this was another case where we had exactly one night to do it. We uh, The guys drove up a Friday afternoon, uh, I think we, we started recording around 9, and just kind of went through until probably about, outside of like the numerous... Uh, beer and food breaks and whatnot mm-hmm. um, till about two in the morning, and that was it. Because again, the next night we were playing the wedding reception. Mm-hmm. Then they had to leave like right after that. So, so basically, uh, with there's almost no outtakes from that. There's um, a couple of vocal numbers uh, that I didn't use because nobody wants to hear. Let's just face it. There's <laughs> there's <laughs> no I, I I say that, but there's actually a couple like um. Jim's uh, version of In Heaven from Eraserhead on the album. I absolutely love. Um, that, that, I think, is just gorgeous. Even, but even that's stolen. I mean, it's it's the, it's a cover, ostensibly a cover of, of uh, basically the love theme from Eraserhead. The girl in the radiator sings the song, In Heaven, Everything is Fine. And when we had started playing that, like some, I don't even know how it came up, the idea of doing it, but I just basically stole the music from the Tornadoes version of Summertime because it seemed to work with it because it was easier than learning the song. Mm-hmm. So, so basically we did that. And then you guys have a, uh, a new single as well. Yes, we have a single, uh, The Scrump, uh, back with the Worm Whispers on Hidden Volume Records. This is significant in a number of ways, uh, not the least of which being, this is the first time somebody else has actually put their own money on the line. <laughs> somebody is, it's the first time somebody's condemned themselves to poverty besides uh, us. Well, let's take a listen to the scrump now. Let's do it. <laughs>
Well, you guys have played some awesome shows. Uh, you guys play with Deke and uh, Shannon and the Clams and um, Stomp Friends, the Intoxicators, and yep. Gravitron. They did your record release show, right? Yes, absolutely. And sure did. Um, Atlanta Favorites, Tiger Tiger. Yep. So, are there any other shows that you uh, that hold a place in your heart? Yeah, absolutely. They're... Um like Deke, you mentioned Deke Dickerson. Uh, we've known him for forever, and we played um, several shows. In the original incarnation, played several shows with him. Um, uh, years past, one particularly wacky show was we had a, a gig with the Monarchy Five, uh, which was Denny's band at the time, mm-hmm. uh, before he was a delusionaire. And uh, we had the show booked for at the Emerald Bar in uh, St. Pete, which is a awesome little dive bar and if you've ever been there but it's well worth i mean it's the it's the soul of the of the continent there basically <laughs> but um you know we have this little show book there and deke dickerson calls me up asking because they have a an empty date and they want to see if they can kind of weasel into that and so it, it's kind of wacky when you call when you're calling up this this bar and you ask the guy I was like what if you came if we slipped Deke Dickerson on the bill there? It's like, and she's just like laughing at me. It's like, yeah, I think we can handle that. And uh, so um, that, that a really one of one of the probably the high point as far as just a kind of awesomeness that that few can get and that you're never gonna that can't be duplicated at least today is when um my good friend. Uh, Good friends, the creepy tees, uh, Tom Walls and uh, Derek Hyde, being the front, the main guys from from Miami, they had started backing up King Coleman, uh, who's a um, huge big hit from '59 was Bash Potato, and we actually covered a King Coleman song in the Dells, uh, "Down in the Basement," um, as well as another one called "Black Bottom," and so um, they were backing up King Coleman. They they booked a show with us in in uh, Orlando and Tom uh, I asked Tom it's like do you guys do down in the basement it's like uh, we haven't we've tried but we haven't gotten that it's like do you think think uh, the king would sing that with us like I'm sure he would and my god sure enough and like when King Coleman and uh, the, the Creepy Tees got there uh, Tom and King Coleman and I went to a, by a pool table out of ukulele and we mm-hmm. just kind of <laughs> just kind of went over real quick the things there during our set we call him up he and so we basically we got to back up king coleman on down in the basement and that was just like i mean i still get chills of that that was That's just cool. like that was as great as anything i could ever ask for well Artie, what can we expect to hear at the southern surf stomp you can expect to hear my name spoken in very unsavory you can you can expect to hear my name yelled in very um, uncomplimentary terms. I'm sure <laughs> a number of times. Uh, as far honestly, each show I have honestly no idea where it's going to go and how it's going to go. With this particular case, being is that we'll have it's it's all it's almost like forecasting weather based on conditions leading up to it. <laughs> We're right now. I'm thinking because uh, this week I'm um, in like. 48 hours from now, we're going to be playing a New Year's Eve show in Orlando that promises to be just utter, I mean, you may, for all I know, by the time this is on the air, there will be police report, there will be news <laughs> stories about the the carnage and horror that came about this. Then we were playing, as a, 
so we're there's that going on. Um, barely a week after that, the night before the Kavona show, uh, we're, we've got this house party, which if you take those very few restraints that the New Year's Eve show even has, when you take away the restraints of of a paying audience that expects any kind of professionalism whatsoever, um, you you really have... The way I've described it to, um, to people, it's like, you know, we're all... It's like, we're not young men. You know, our youngest member is like, you know, pushing 40. Um, some are pushing 60 with a vengeance, you know. It's like, we're... Um, we're all family men, you know, all respectable like people. Somehow, when you take us out of a certain element, like I always said, like you take the four of us kind, decent family men, put them in Atlanta, and it becomes four Caligulas. It becomes, <laughs> it's like, it's just, <laughs> we become so offensive. I mean, and not, not necessarily in a good way, not even in a charming way. I mean, like in a sleazy creep kind of way. Right. But, um... But again, it's because you take away any kind of restrictions or restraints on us, and we just overrun those bases. Just, just, <laughs> you know, we're 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 like hyperactive little kids trapped in the bodies <laughs> of withered old men. <laughs> so, so taking that into account, and so by the when the Kavarna thing comes along, I think we're going to be at the perfect element of sleaze with that because it'll it'll have knocked out some of um, certain members um, truculent nature I guess <laughs> at the same but there will be a more of a bitter resentment bubbling underneath toward each other I'm sure <laughs> the hangover is gonna make it absolutely awesome oh yeah and so I honestly think this is good it's probably take this for good or bad this is the Kavarna show is probably going to be our most musical show, I think, as far as, <laughs> like, as, as in it, just simply because we'll have lost the wind to, to, you know, really become too distracted. It basically will be forced to focus simply because the light everywhere else will hurt our eyes too much. Right. So. <laughs> it's going to be interesting, too, because I always look like when we're playing in a place, like, Kavarna is not your usual... It's not a bar. Yeah, it's not a bar, and it's certainly not a dive bar. Right. It's, it's not... It's a respectable joint. It's a respectable joint, and that's, that's what's going to make it interesting. <laughs> because I always, I'm always afraid whenever uh, some place that, uh, if you... If it's a place where you can't just write your name on the wall in the nicotine <laughs> uh, that's on the wall, I'm a, I feel like I'm bringing in a band of, like, chimpanzees or something or a, a, like we're a bunch of wild men from Borneo that we're turning loose on right. this thing. I, I just picture like somebody throwing up in a flower pot or or that's okay. peeing in a garbage. That's that's, that's okay. good to know. Yeah. That is good to know. I don't, I don't think you guys can fare uh, much worse than Daikaiju in Kamara. So. That's right. Oh, that's right. That, oh God, thank God. That's, okay, that's, because the shows I've been to it, um, at Kavarna have been fairly um, great shows, but I wouldn't say, not so much tame, but... More tame. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, or at least controlled. Yes. That's <laughs> yeah. um, respectable. Yes. Well, I think I already know what to expect um, as an answer from this question, but uh, what does the future hold for the Delusionaires? Death. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, uh, <laughs> we... <laughs> 
right now it's the it's funny there's an old Prince Valiant comic strip from the early 70s that was in some cartooning book I had that there is a line from that that I mean I got this thing you know 40 years ago I think a line for that haunts me to this day, especially when I think about the, the Delusionaires. Thrice cursed is he who knows his future. <laughs> and that's... I try to play things as um, spontaneously as possible. Fast because, and loose. Fast and loose. Because when, when, you've got, when you've got any band where the members are spread out over, you know, a 500-mile, 600-mile um, range there... Any band over that 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 kind of complicates things and it makes it kind of difficult to plot things out. When you've got the four of us who even local shows were when we all lived in the same city were nightmares to to try to organize. I mean, just simply the fact of playing a show. Understand? We practiced at my house. The, the two bars we mainly played at were within, like, two miles of my house, maybe three miles. And there was always a headache trying to figure out, like, just this calamity. Somebody's car would run out of gas on the way to the gig. <laughs> it, it, so, it's like, we couldn't, yeah, we couldn't get on the same page when we were in the same city. We're actually more organized now, strangely enough, with the, uh, with the distance between us. And now that... And strangely enough, we actually have a future because uh, for some reason we're at a point where people are actually asking us to play <laughs> these things. Right now we're in the unique position, unique for us at least, that we actually have commitments that we need to follow through because people are, for some reason now are actually asking us to play things, which is was not, not a common thing back in the day, so we still don't know how to deal with it. Um, we're in addition to the shows we have uh, coming up here um, in in Atlanta and Athens um, in April. We're supposed to play the um, Blackbeard's Lost Weekender. This was a show that, in again perfect Delusioneer style, I found out about when I saw it listed on the bands that had been confirmed, and <laughs> I'm like, um. Does anybody know anything about this? And Where is this? Where is this show? That is going to be in North Carolina, Greenville, North, North Carolina, I believe. Okay. So we're supposed to play that. Um, I, and I say supposed to simply because I'm, I'm waiting for... I'm always waiting for a ball to drop in some way. Like, there's so many shows where the last minute I'll find like, I can't do that, I'm going to be in Canada or whatnot. And right. This kind of thing. But, uh, and beyond that, we have... Uh, we are playing in New York City again in... Um, I uh, believe June 29th, the last weekend in June, the last Saturday in June, we're playing the Midnight Monster Hop cool. up there, which is a monthly thing. So, and, and even that, we're just kind of, uh, when we're committing it, because we're not used to to um, booking anything with any kind of, with that kind of lead time. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we're, because before it was always a, I'm not sure if the band's going to be together, and right. at this point it's like, we can't guarantee we're all going to be alive because right. I mean, we've run out of like of of people that can like die or become disabled. That the band can still kind right. of carry on. Right. With that. So, I mean, it's a it's a kind of a morbid, perhaps grotesque way of looking at it, but it's life. Like that's life, and, and again, when you if you would you come see us, you'll understand. 
the first look at us and you'll understand exactly why <laughs> why I don't necessarily guarantee we will be alive. Well, Artie, it's been an awesome interview. Thank you so oh, much. Thank and we're, you. Uh, we're pleasure. looking forward to having you guys on the tent. Absolutely cannot wait. And hope all you hope all you out there um, um, come. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get don't get your hopes too high and, and wear something cheap. Wear something cheap. That's all I can say. All right. Thanks, Artie. Uh, thank you.
everybody. We're going to roll back the carpet and have an old-fashioned monster shindig. So, all you card-carrying monsters, grab a ghoul friend and get ready to do a twist, a surf, a, a wild watusi, a frug, or a swinging holly-gully.
Hey, this is Bob with the Surf King Surfwear coming to you from the Southern Surf Stomp podcast. Check out our shirts and other items online at thesurfkingstore.com. All right, in that big mega set, we kicked it off with, of course, the Delusionaires with In Heaven. Followed that with The Surfinks and Weird Beard. And then after that, we heard The Slackmates with Rocket Racer from their vastly underrated record, Hot Car Girls. And then we ended the set with two Bobby Fuller 4 tunes. The first was King of the Wheels, and the second, The Lonely Dragster. All right, folks, this is going to be our last normal set here. We're going to start this one with the Diamond Heads with the Hottie. And then we're going to move to one that's not really a surf tune, but an absolutely excellent instrumental record um, that came out in 2014, Steelism with the Landlocked Surfer. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Southern Surf Stompcast. We sure hope you've enjoyed it. If so, please recommend it to a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out online at southernsurfstomp.blogspot.com, on Facebook, or on Twitter at South Surf Stomp. Feel free to contact us with any questions, comments, feedback, or requests at chadshiversmusic at gmail.com. Thanks again to Artie Mondello of the Delusionaires for the great interview. And as always, our sponsors, the Surf King Surfwear, the Longboard Show on WREK.org, French Factory on WFMU.org, and of course the Penetrators for letting us use their Southern Surf Syndicate theme as our intro and outro music. I'm going to leave you with one last piece by Shark Quest called Sin the Moon.